and soul on fire. German philosopher William Hegel said, Nothing great has ever been accomplished in the history of the world without passion. Helen Keller said, Life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. Einstein said, I have no special talents. I am just passionately curious. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Enthusiasm and persistence make an average person superior. Lethargy and indifference make a superior person average. Knowledge is valuable. Enthusiasm is invaluable. I want us to think about three simple points. Instruction, seven verses. Examination, five questions. Application, one idea. That's a map of where we're going. Let's talk about seven verses. We have examined two of them in our already this morning, but let's go through them mentally, and you can turn if you want to. Let, let's, I'll catch up to you in Romans 1. We'll read Romans 1, 14 and 15 momentarily, but let's, let's see a couple on the way to that passage. Matthew 22, 36 to 40, we began with, and really the foundation of a relationship with the eternal God of heaven is to love Him with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a synonym for love is passion. Another synonym would be a fire in my soul. And God is looking for that fire in my soul. Revelation 3, 15 to 17, where Jesus with the clipboard examining the churches, seven churches of Asia. And what was He looking for? He was looking for sound doctrine, but He also was looking for sound attitudes. He was also looking for fire. And He did not find it in Laodicea. And He said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. He didn't want them to be cold, so why would he say, I wish you, wish you were cold over lukewarm? Well, perhaps it's because if a person is cold, they're away from God, they've fallen away, they know where they are. They know they need to come back. They may not be ready to come back, but they know that they're not okay being cold but someone who's lukewarm, they may feel quite self-satisfied and not recognize the great danger that they're in. Think about another passage. John 2, 20, well, 16, really 1 through 16, where Jesus goes into the temple and He takes a whip that He's braided and He drives the animals and the money changers away from the temple. He overturns their tables and chases them out. And I, do you picture that scene? It must have been something to behold. They're in the most important place in, in the world, the temple. 
And Jesus goes in and flips the tables and money goes everywhere and the animals are scattered and he's got them driving them out. And his disciples are watching this normally calm, reasonable, dispassionate preacher who, has do, who is doing something that they could never have imagined. And it reminded them of a scripture from the old Bible, Psalm 69, 9, where the psalmist says, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And they quoted that. They said that to each other, John 2, 16. Now, we usually use that phrase, eaten up, in a negative sense. Someone is eaten up with cancer. That's not a good thing. That means it's pervasive. When they saw Jesus, they didn't say he just has a little bit of zeal for God. They said he's eaten up with it. His zeal for God is pervasive in his life. What about Acts 18.25, the third on our list, which is about Apollos, a man of a Jewish man who was, among other things, zealous in spirit. What was there that separated Apollos from other preachers that they had heard? Or when Apollos preached, he was on fire. When Apollos preached, you could tell he really believed it. When Apollos preached, he was motivated to get his points across. Apollos was a man whose soul was on fire for God. And now we catch up to Romans 1, if you're there. 14 and 15, Paul writing to the church that he wanted to visit in Rome. And he said, um, <clears throat> I'm a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians and the Wise and the unwise. You know, he felt, he felt a sense of gratitude to those that had bettered his life, but especially to God and to Jesus who had died for him. And he says, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. I love that phrase, as much as in me is. Not as much as is in somebody else, not, you know, some of, you're going to get a good effort out of it. No, not even just a good effort. As much as in me is, I'm going to put it all on the line. I'm going to put everything on the table. As much as in me is. That's the way Paul served God. And he suffered for it, but God will reward him when he, there's a crown of righteousness, he said, at the end of his life, laid up for me, 2 Timothy 4.8. Another passage we just read, uh, Romans 12.11, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. The word fervent there means to boil over, like you leave a pot on the stove on a too high of a temperature too long, and it, it starts boiling and boiling, and finally just boils over. And that's the idea there. Fervent in spirit is boiling over. It's similar to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which says, Be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your work is not in vain in the Lord. Now, a couple of other verses. I don't know where we are on our list, but uh, how about 1 Corinthians 9, 2, where the poor church, a poor church that didn't have much to put in the plate, but they had given generously to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul was going by to get their, their contribution to take it to them. And he said, your zeal hath provoked very many. Other people are influenced by our actions. That can be true negatively, 
you know, lukewarmness, indifference can spread, but thankfully, so can zeal. You know, find some people in your life that when you're around, you're just a better person. You're a stronger Christian. Some people who are so on fire for God that if you get close to them, you'll get, you'll get on fire too. You know, that, that is an opportunity that we have living in this part of the world where there are so many Christians and so many wonderful things going on to be involved in. And, and the opportunity that I have makes a responsibility for me. You know, we grade a test on a, on a scale sometimes. If, you know, all the students in the class don't do so well, you say, well, that, to be fair, let's, let's, let's give them all some bonus points. You know, but really where we're living, we've got every advantage to be on fire for God. We are living in a place where there are plenty of Bibles, where there are strong churches, where there's good preaching, where, where there are many good works for me to be involved in where my children can be taught the Word of God on their level, and they can be inspired by Christian camps and youth, youth workers and youth ministries and youth days. And Well, there's so many opportunities, and it sure would be a shame to be lukewarm amongst so many fires. Your zeal hath provoked very many. What about Titus 2.14, which says that Jesus redeemed unto himself a, a peculiar people, zealous of good works, Zealous of good, not good work, not one, but works. Tell me what I can do. Tell me how I can be involved. I want to be involved for the Lord. Zealous of good works. All right, that's the instruction, those seven verses. But let's move in now and talk about uh, examination, five questions. Now, I will never know how you answer these questions. You, 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 this will be personal. But as we go through them, Please participate, you know. Think about how you would answer these questions. And it really doesn't matter this hour how we answer the questions, but it will matter a lot at the last hour. You know, this, these 29,000 days that we have or so to live on earth, they're not just to be lived for our pleasant enjoyment or to somehow struggle and get through they're days of preparation. We're on the training ground. And one day we're going to be judged according to the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And so this is not a dress rehearsal we're going through that somehow, you know, later on I'll live my life for real. No, I'm living my life for real right now. And today and the day that, and whatever I do within it, how I use it, I will never get back. I mean, I may have another day, but I will never get this day back. And tomorrow, how I use it, I'm spending a day of my life for those activities, those pursuits. And so it puts a, a serious color to life or to time. So let's think about these questions. Number one, answer this personally, quietly, in your heart. What am I most passionate about? Now, there would be many answers if we opened it up for discussion. Perhaps, certainly in a crowd of this size, there's the opportunity for a lot of different passions. But let me just throw out a few that might be my greatest passion. What about my sports team? You know, is my closet filled up with, or my, the drawers of my dresser filled up with certain colors and, and emblems, a certain team that I follow, and I'm constantly 
uh, keeping up with the recruiting, and I know the stats, and I, I could tell you the records from years gone by. I mean, I'm really into this college football team or this NBA team or this major league baseball. I mean, I just, I just, that just is what I'll enjoy doing. Maybe it's my career. You know, I started out, I'm a hard worker, I'm ambitious, and I've got my eye on that uh, VP chair. You know, by 40, that's my goal. I want to be the vi a vice president by 40. I want to be in the, in the CEO position by 50. I'm working, I've got the right connections. I have the right skill set and background and education. That's my goal, and I tell you, I'll work, I'll work long hours to get there. Sometimes I work weekends, I take trips because it will help to further. I go golfing with the big wheels because you know you need to know them in order to, to be advanced. I mean, that's my, that's my passion, it's my work. For somebody else, it might be money. I'm working three different jobs because you know I really like the, the things I can do when I have a lot of money. Other people, it's popularity. You know, they don't care much about a job. You know, they go to the job, they pay, it pays the bills. Money, I don't, you know, that's not what moves me. But boy, I tell you, I really enjoy weekending with my friends. I enjoy where we go and what we do. I mean, I live for the weekends. I trudge through the week, but I live for the weekends. What are you most passionate about? Number one on that list has to be God. Now, uh, we knew that, you knew that before you came today. You didn't need the preacher to stand up here and say, God needs to be number one in your life. We all know that. Matthew 6, 33, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. We've memorized those verses. Many of us, seek ye first the kingdom of God, set your affections on things above. We know that. But it's not as easy to practice it as it is to know it. Because so many things are crowding in. And urgent things are not usually the important things. You know, I have a to-do list of maybe 10 or 12 things for today or this week. And, you know, when does read my Bible ever get to the top rung of, the, of that list? Or pray today? Or grow spiritually? Or talk to my friend about the gospel? You know, I've got to pick up the kids for, uh, you know, after practice, and I've got to make sure that I get the grass mowed, and we've got to get groceries, and, you know, I've got this other appointment, that, and I've got, we got to, can you pick them, I've got to, does that sound like your life? We're busy. Sometimes we're too busy. Sometimes we haven't learned to say the easiest word to say. Two letters. No. Say no to good things that we might do better things. You know, what would people say I'm most passionate about? No, that's the second question. What, would, what am I most passionate about? Now the second question. And this one I won't spend long on, but I want to contrast it with the first one. What would others say I'm most passionate about? Now I can lie to myself. I mean, I can make my conscience feel a little better by you know, t saying something that's you know, marginal, maybe not true at all. But other people who know me well, they know what I'm passionate about. What will they say about me when my, at my funeral? You know, people always try to think of nice things to say at the funeral. The preacher gets up and he picks out some, you know, good memories or some good characteristics or, you know, we all... 
But usually at funerals, when you're listening, and I do this when I'm going to preach a funeral, especially somebody I don't know well, I'll go to the visitation, and I'll just sit around and talk. Why must I listen? Because the people there will tell their stories about this person. And you know what comes out in those stories? His, his passions. Oh, I remember he, you never saw him without a Tennessee orange shirt on, you know, or you never saw her without, she would talk about her grandkids or, so our passions are known to others. So what will others say about me? Number three. On a scale of one to 10, how would I rank my passion for God right now? I mentioned Revelation 3, 15 and 17 earlier. I'll come back to that in a moment. But let me, let me tell you about a preacher that was going to preach on this subject. And in preparation for it, he went around and asked different members in the congregation, surveyed them and said, how would you rank your relationship with God? And he said that he received a lot of different answers. Some people said it's good. Some people said it's pretty good. Some people said it could be better. But the thing that he heard more than anything else was it's okay. It's okay. Okay, so where would you put okay on that scale of 1 to 10? It, it wouldn't be a 2, would it? But it wouldn't be an eight, would it? If you wanted to color, you know, divide that scale into three colors, maybe blue representing cold could be one through three. Perhaps red representing hot could be eight through ten. And then orange would be that middle section, four through seven. Okay would have to be orange, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be blue, wouldn't be red, but it, it'd be orange. What number do you pick? So I'll never know the answer to that, and I don't really want to know the answer to it, but I do hope that we all see that number because this is self-examination time. This is looking into my own life and, and, and comparing it to the Word of God, which is the purpose, one of the purposes of preaching. If it's not where I want it to be, and it, and it may well be where you want it to be, you know, you may be as on fire for God right now as you have ever been, and that's wonderful. I'm sure that's the case with many. But if your number is not where you want it to be, our fourth question is, what needs to change in your life for the number to go up? Let me throw out some possibilities. I mean, this is an intelligent audience. You can examine and figure it out for yourself. But let me just get you started in a vein of thinking. Uh, somebody might say, well, you know, I really need some new friends. That's what's pulling me down more than anything. My friends are always going places, inviting me to go places, and I don't have the courage to stand up to them as I probably should. And I tell you, my friends, they just, they're keeping me with one foot in the world, and I'm keeping my other foot in the church. Somebody else might say, well, it's my boyfriend or it's my girlfriend. I mean, I really enjoy the relationship. I like being in a relationship. 
But you know, it's not a healthy not a spiritually healthy relationship. And I just keep getting pulled into situations, and I keep participating in things that I that that are not what they ought to be. Somebody else says, "Well, it's just my job, you know. I have to work so many hours, and my my boss makes me work on Sundays. I've talked to him, but he, he just doesn't listen. And I work on Sundays more often than not, and Wednesday nights, I'm." I mean, it's hit and miss for me at services, and I can't really be a participant in a Bible class because I don't, I'm always lost. You know, they covered two or three chapters since I was in the class, and I'm trying to catch up. And, and you know, sometimes I just come in, I'm so tired, I say, well, nobody's really going to know if I was working or not or not. I thought I'd just go to bed early. And, you know, it's my job. My job is killing me spiritually. Somebody else says it's my hobby. You know, when hunting season comes, I mean, I... I know I shouldn't, but I'm in the woods every weekend, you know, Sundays too. Or, you know, we travel with our kids' travel team, and, you know, I drove from, from Memphis over here this morning, and uh, I noticed the sheriff was out directing traffic. He had cones set up and blocked one lane off, and Honestly, what I thought of first was there's a big church over here somewhere, and everybody's coming in, you know. What was I wrong about that? I, I made a turn, and there was another inch, same thing, another sheriff said, what was going on? Well, before I got to the second one, I could see through the trees. The stands were full. It was team sports. I don't know what I, I couldn't see. Some players were on the field, but I don't know what they were playing. And then I saw the parking lot, it was full. This was at 8 o'clock in the morning. What if we tried to have Bible class at 8 o'clock in the morning? I wonder how many parents would get their kids. Maybe that's a judgmental statement. I ought not to say it that way. But they had them there by 8 o'clock in the morning. They were already dressed, stretched, and playing the game. They weren't going to be at worship. Any kind of worship. I'm not even at this point talking about scriptural worship. But any kind of respect for God or the Bible or Jesus, the Son of God? What one thing would need to change in your life for your spiritual temperature to go up? Now, you say it'd be hard. Yeah. That's why it's pulling you down. It's because it's hard. But may I remind you of Mark? I think this is Mark three thirty-nine. If not, read the whole book of Mark. It's in there. It's a good verse. So... Uh, Jesus said, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Is everybody listening? Nobody playing on their phones? Or... No, this is not playtime. This is not texting time. We're talking about the eternal word of God in my soul. If your right eye offends thee, pluck it out. If you're Foot offensively, cut it off. Your right hand offensively, cut it off. He's not talking about maiming our bodies. That would not be right. What he's doing is using a figure of speech, hyperbole, exaggeration. He's saying, anything that hinders you from going to heaven, you get rid of that. You see, he says as he concludes it, it's better to go to heaven maimed than to go to hell whole. 
Well, that tells me that those things I just named, I ticked off those different applications. Any of those would be less than cutting off my hand. So make a decision. Last question. <clears throat> How can I keep my temperature up in a cold world? Would you say the world's gotten colder spiritually in your lifetime? It has. There's a lot more hostility toward Christians and the church and the Bible than there was than in times that some of us are old enough to remember. What about, what about where do you work? What's the spiritual temperature there? If you had to say, well, when I go to work, it's, uh, is everybody there a pretty good influence? Uh, is everybody there use good, clean language? Is there, anybody there make fun of Christians or, more, or Christian morality? I don't know where you work, but I would say that would, but a lot of workplaces are not very conducive to Christian growth. What about your family? What about your community? What about the world we live in? Okay, so <clears throat> let me illustrate it a different way. Let's say you had a job as a butcher and you had to work in a, in a meat locker, you know, where the temperature's low enough to keep the meat from spoiling, but that's what you had to work in every day. Would it be hard to keep your temperature up working in that environment? Yeah, what would you do? Now, here's the way we, have, we apply this. If you're working in a situation like I just described where there's bad language and there's bad morals, people dress bad, all that, you're working in a meat locker. It's cold. How do you fix it? Well, if you were literally working in a meat locker, you'd put on a toboggan and you'd probably wear gloves, you'd wear layers. I mean, you'd, you'd be able to stay in there. You'd keep your temperature up by working with that situation or you know, taking some extraordinary measures. What can you do spiritually? Okay, what about this? Mark 135 says that Jesus got up a great while before day and went, it, went out and found a solitary place and there prayed. Luke 6, 12 says that Jesus prayed all night before he chose the 12 apostles. So since I'm working in a cold environment, maybe I need to fire my soul up with more prayer. Prayer can cancel out, you see? But you say, well, how could I do it? Jesus got up early, Jesus stayed up late. And maybe I can work it in at some other times, but if those were my only options, those would be good options. What about this? <clears throat> Add calories to your diet or fuel to the fire. How do you do that? The Word of God is food for the soul. So how do I add calories to my diet? I, I, I spend more time in the Word. So maybe instead of where, you know, you can read the whole Bible through if you just read four chapters every day. 26 verses per chapter, about 100 verses a day. We'll get you through the whole Bible. And maybe that's the, that ought to be the goal of all Christians, read the whole Bible every year. That well, keeps, keeps us in the Word. But four chapters only take about 20 minutes for a slow reader. to get, So 20 minutes a day I spend in the Word. But let's say I'm working in a bad environment. I can tell it's pulling me down. Maybe I need to tick that up to... 30 minutes and read five chapters or maybe a little more because this word is feeding my soul which fortifies my strength against temptation. What about instead of listening to sports radio on the way back and forth to work or my favorite music, I 
listen to the Word of God or I listen to preachers preaching the Word of God. We live in a wonderful time. You can listen to preachers that have been dead 50 years with a device that's in your pocket or in your hand right now. A few clicks. You, you, you look at, and the next thing you know, you hit play and you lay it on the seat beside you and you, all the way home, are listening to the Word of God. You're, some of the greatest speakers that America's ever, ever had are within grasp of every one of us. So that's how we keep our temperature up. All right, we have to move and close out. Last application, number one application, and that is teach the gospel to a lost soul. You know what will fire up a Christian's heart? You have your sleeve wet from lowering someone beneath the, watery, the waters of baptism. Well, you come out looking around thinking, who else do I know that I could teach? Because that is a motivational thing. And what it does is, it sets my soul on fire to set somebody else's soul on fire. Now, I'm going to quit because our time's up, but I'm going to give you these four things in rapid fire. And maybe if you haven't really listened to everything we've said today, but you, you want to get something out of the lesson, okay, here's our chance. How can I influence a soul for heaven? You know, you think about, well, I've got to learn the Bible, and I've got to learn the method of study, and I've got to go find somebody, sit down at a table, and I'll go through and we answer the questions, and then, okay, wipe that out of your mind. That's not the only way to bring someone to Christ. We really, if I may say it this way, and I don't misunderstand, I'll explain it. We hunt as a pack. Are you familiar with that phrase? What does that mean? That means it's not just one-on-one. -on -one. It means all of us are participating in the, souls, in the saving of all the souls that we, we can contact and bring into our midst and help to, to create a thirst for right, righteousness. So here you go. Here's the way to do it. Number one, there are four levels. Number one is just reporting. Reporting. Where do you begin with somebody? Well, tomorrow you, you, at work you, you just casually say something like, you know, yesterday, we had the best day at church. I mean, we had the best weekend. We came up and we worked together. And I tell you, we, the crowd, it was, there was hardly a pew except the front two pews. It was full. And the singing, wow, just reporting. You're not asking them to give an evaluation. They're not asking them even to accept anything. You're just, you're just breaking the ice. Or you say, you know, this, I was reading this chapter in my Bible. Let me ask you about this. I don't, well, what do you think this means? You're just reporting. You're just engaging in that, in that subject field, that genre. Number two, interaction with disciples. They're scared of us. A lot of people out there don't think they're good enough to be in here. They're wrong. They don't know our stories. They don't know where we came from. They don't know what we're dealing with. But that's what they're thinking. So how can I overcome that? Introduce them to some other Christians. You know, you're going to take a book back or a tool back that you've borrowed. You say, I'm going to go over and see my friend on the way. You call up your friend. Could you, walk, could you ride over there with me? We'll go get a bite to eat afterward. And, and, and so you go by and you, you say, well, here's your, um, your hoe that I borrowed. And by the way, I, <laughs> this is my friend from church. And you introduce and he's friendly and says, well, it's really nice to know you. I've heard good things about you. And then you leave. He knows somebody, some other face. You have a fellowship meal. You invite them. Come, come, come enjoy this 
and they get to meet the different members of the church, oh, they're not so bad. That's a nice group of people. Interaction with disciples. Three, passive reading. We used to have a program uh, in the church called RATSAT. It's a strange sounding thing, and everybody would say, what is that? RATSAT, R-A-T-S-A-T. Read a tract, share a tract. And one Sunday a month, the preacher would go to the track rack. You know, tracks are great, but they don't do much good sitting in the church, the church building. So he'd go and he'd get them out. He'd go down the row and say, read this this week. And after you read it, just give it to somebody. That's a start. Fourth is a Bible study. And if you're intentional teaching, many people can do that. But if you don't feel comfortable doing that, your elders, your preachers, other members are looking for someone with whom to study. So all you got to say is, I got somebody I, like, I think is ready to study the Bible. Would you help me? They will. That's all we'll say today. I'll extend the Lord's invitation. We've talked about how to become a Christian in the Bible class, you can be baptized for, for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, willing to turn from sin, you could become a member of the family of God today. Acts 8, 35 to 40. Maybe you've been studying that with someone. You're ready to make that decision. It'd be a wonderful day if you did. Maybe you haven't been a faithful Christian. You say, I, I'm, I'm wanting to take my soul more seriously. I'm ready to start over. I want, to, I want to, today to be the first day of the rest of my life. So come forward and confess whatever sin it is or, or just sin in general and say, I want the prayers of the church and an encouragement of all my friends in the, in the church. We'll pray with you and God will forgive you. That's the, that's the privilege God gives us, not to be taken lightly. If that is uh, something you should take advantage of today, we will stand to make it easy for you to get out of the row where you are, and we will sing while you come forward uh, during the song. Will you come? We'll stand and sing.